It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man. Boom, it's Rusty. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's Friday, whatever that means in your life. As I say every Friday, hopefully Friday is not, you know, oh, it's Friday, it's Friday. Hopefully every day is like that for you. Every day doesn't have, every day can be Friday in your life. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, welcome here to the Public Access Podcast, the p- podcast here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN, with other great shows such as When the Gloves Come Off, the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Say by the Ben. And this is brought to you by Stoner Eats Productions, uh, Hardcore Comedy, Fred Ben Savage's Buck, Hypnosis is Great, and Sockemup.org. And so that gets all that out of the way right off the bat. So thank you everyone again for being here. And I'm going to go and bring on my special guests here today, right here, right now. Right here, right now, we have Herbert Hay Averett. Yes, Herbert Hay Averett. I am so happy I got that. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> I am doing really well this morning. Thank you for asking. How are you today? That's good. I'm I'm great. And uh, again, yeah, thank you for being up early. Uh, it's um, I it's odd being on this coast. I'm out on the East Coast now, and so it's odd with that and not having to, you know, having to think not in West Coast terms or any other, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, 10 o'clock here, 7 o'clock there. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being up and, you know, ready to give it a go. Well, I'm usually up this early. I'm just not real productive this early. (laughs) I I get up every morning at, at 620. Uh, and I do a little exercise program with my wife. So I, I, I am usually up this early. Again, I'm just not all that okay. awake yet. I, I would say that that way. Uh, yeah. So then at 6.20, do you have an alarm that goes off or do you just wake up at 6.20 just ready to go or what? Um, I, I So it's kind of weird. Um, So I hurt my head several years ago and I suffered a traumatic brain injury, actually several of them that kind of took my life apart. And so um, when I got my brain scanned, one of the things that the doctor suggested was hyperbaric therapy. So I have a small hyperbaric chamber in my house and every morning at four o'clock, I get up and I get in my chamber and get out at six o'clock. So I spend two hours in my hyperbaric chamber every morning. Hold on, hold on one second here. Okay, so so you have a hyperbaric chamber. And so what what effects does that have on the brain uh, for two hours? I'm, I can, I don't know, I could go talk a little bit about the brain here if, uh, if we can, I'm interested um, here. So what a hyperbaric chamber does um, is you, mine is like a giant duffel bag. So I crawl in a giant duffel bag, I zip it up, and then there's hoses attached to it that pump air into it. And it's like being inside of a tire. 
Um, so as the air pumps in, the air pressure increases and it gets up to 1.3 atmospheres, which is equivalent to swimming about 17 feet underwater. And what that does is it takes the, the oxygen molecules and it squishes them down. It makes them just slightly smaller. It compresses them. And then the oxygen can, <clears throat> can go through your, your blood brain barrier easier. And it, so it can get into your cerebral spinal fluid easier. And it can also um, get into your, your interstitial spaces easier. So it helps you oxygenize your blood and your brain better. And with, with brain damage, so part of it is I lost, I lost blood flow in my brain. And to, so by, by having the oxygen molecules get shrunk just that little bit, they get into the brain easier and it helps re-oxygenate. Um, it's also really great for injuries. It's great for cancer patients. There's a lot of research that has been done on the hyperbaric um, hyperbaric therapies and what it does. So if you like have a cut, it helps push oxygen into the tissues that are exposed and, and it helps cure that. It, um, cancer is, is a lack of oxygen in, in some of your material and it still grows. So oxygen is, is good to help with cancer. So the hyperbaric chamber is kind of like a, a really great thing for a lot of different things. So how does it get, uh, is it like pitch black, dark, uh, and uh, is it like a sensory deprivation tank? I know they call it something different now because you can't, you can't call it a sensory deprivation tank. You have to call it something different or a float tank. Um, a float tank. Yes. Um, they call so it so is it like that? Um, no, not at all. Um, it, the only way that they're similar is you get into a thing and there's not a whole lot for you to do while you're in it. Um, so the the hyperbaric chamber is actually quite noisy because the pumps are pumping air in and you hear the of the pump. And then once it hits pressure, <clears throat> there's pressure reliefs valves at either end and they start whistling or, or hissing. So whoosh, the whole time you're in the chamber. Um, sometimes I wear earplugs just to, um, a lot of people will, other people have come to use my chamber. My mom helped me get the chamber. And when she helped me, she basically said, I'm going to get this for you. But if anybody else needs to use it, they get to use it. So I've had several, <clears throat> several people that whenever I talk about it, I invite them over to my house to try it out. And so um, other people, other people can, can use it if, if they want. You got a little is that uh yeah this this is my little dog velvet little velvet oh yeah she's nice. a crazy little psycho dog that always needs to be in contact with the human <laughs> hey that that's not wrong with that it seems like a good good time there and um so let's see so you are well, I mean, what are you thinking about in there for two hours or is that your time to be able to get ready for the day and um, process stuff or is it I mean is it like a sort of like an MRI machine when it starts dinging and buzzing and doing all that weird stuff is it distracting like that or I mean what's what's kind of happening in there while you're in there um, for a couple hours now I, I set it for that time and usually I just crawl back in and go back to sleep for a couple hours um, I do a little bit of breathing meditation because while it's up if you if you increase your breaths you get more oxygen so i do sometimes a little bit of breathing exercises and breathing breathing meditation in there 
but I set it for that time in the morning so that I could be in it every day without taking hours out of my day. So it, it's kind of, I, I get up early when I'm still tired. I hop in it. A lot of times I fall back asleep. Um, an interesting thing now though that happens is when I get on airplanes, the when they pressurize the cabins, it only goes up a little bit. But as soon as I get on a plane and the pressure starts changing, it makes me drowsy and I fall asleep on planes now. So it, it's wow. really interesting. So yeah, the hyperbaric chamber makes me really drowsy. If I have my phone, if I'm reading, if I'm doing something right away, I'll stay awake. But if if I don't have anything to do, I, I just end up getting really drowsy and falling asleep in the chamber, usually within 10 or 15 minutes. In the chamber and in the plane? Um, the planes take a little longer. Yeah. Uh, because there's people around, there's there's stuff going on. But yeah, I, I usually fall asleep in planes now because it, it just, the, the pressure changes. I'm used to falling asleep when the pressure goes <laughs> like that now. So, yeah. So, can, uh, can I ask what happened with the, how the injury happened? Is this some, I mean, if you've talked about this a lot, you don't have to oh, no, answer it's that. <clears throat> um, so, I have played this instrument hard my whole life. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I was in football, baseball, and basketball. And there were a lot of times growing up where I have hit my head. So I, I've had several concussions as a kid. And then when I got out of college, I started snowboarding. And that's when the big damages started. So the first time I went snowboarding, I came home with a concussion and whiplash. But this was, I, I'm, I'm old. Um, so this was before all of the concussion protocols and all of the stuff that they knew about hurting the head went. Just got your uh, bell rung. You got shake it off. Shake it yes. off. And so I, I'd, I'd had several concussions. And then probably about 10 years ago, um, I had the straw that broke the camel's back. So I was flying down Mount Hood Meadows. Um, I took a hard right hand turn. And I did what's called a high side, or I caught an edge. So I was. Run. I'm sorry. Um, I was coming right down the face, right down Hood, Hood, Hood River Meadows. The Herm. Okay. The, the last steep part right before you get to the lodge and the lift. Um, yeah. What's going on? I have been signed out. Am I still on here? Yeah, you're still on here. Okay. Cancel. I had a big Zoom thing pop up in front of me. Um, so I was coming down Herm. Um, there's the, there's the main chute, but it was a little still soft stuff off to the left. And so I cut off to the left and I was just flying as fast as I could. It was our last run of the day. I was going to make it down past the edge to the parking lot. So I didn't have to kick off. So haul and butt taking a wide right out, caught a bump and suddenly I'm flying backwards, looking at the clouds. And I had a lot of time in the air thinking, I was like, you know, people say when they're Drunk drivers seem to be the only ones that get out of accidents because they're so relaxed. So maybe if I relax when I hit the ground, it won't hit, hurt so hard. It's like, wow, it's taking me a long time to hit the ground. And then I remember kind of waking up on the snow thinking, wow, that really hurt. Um, I don't remember hitting. I don't remember coming to a stop. I just remember pain. And then I had to pick stuff up off of the snow. And <clears throat> 20 years of snowboarding, I had never had to pick up that much equipment from a wreck before because, you know, usually when you're snowboarding, your stuff stays on. But like parts of my helmet came off, parts of my clothes came off. So, Whoa. yeah, I I clocked myself. And 
Um, I also, you know, tweaked my shoulder, tweaked my back, tweaked my hip. And so the next couple of months, I was working with doctors on my shoulders and my back and my hip. And I didn't realize how badly I had hurt my head. And then my business started falling apart. I stopped being able to deal with my sales reps. I stopped being able to make phone calls. And my job was, was being on the phone all the time. So my life <clears throat> came apart. It took me apart. And I thought I was going insane. Um, I got really depressed. I got really anxious. My, my business fell apart. My life fell apart. Luckily, my wife um, meant it when she said for better or for worse. And she has been my absolute rock through all of this and has held me together. But yeah, my life <clears throat> completely fell apart. I was, <clears throat> I was getting to the point where I, I really didn't want to be here anymore. And in this process is when I started learning about psychedelics. Um, started, it's, it's a lot more prevalent now than when I started looking into it. So 10 um, years ago. Yeah. Yeah, especially in Oregon. It has come a long, long way in 10 years. So 10 years ago when I started, it still wasn't legal, but I was dying. Um, I, I didn't want to live anymore. I had no emotional control. I couldn't make decisions. My anxiety was off the charts. And I started seeing YouTube stuff on how, ooh, one time of psilocybin fixes depression, 80% non-smoking, and all of these amazing stats around psychedelics. And so um, I'd lost my business. I didn't have a lot of money. So I went and did it all on my own. I started growing mushrooms. I started, I got invited to an ayahuasca thing. I went the, I went the gamut. And so the first time I did mushrooms, I did five grams of mushrooms. Holy shit. And, and I'm not a normal person. My even even outside of the injury, my brain is different. I, I work differently. So I did five grams of mushrooms and it was one of the most ordinary days that I've had. It was like 10 years of insomnia rolled up into one afternoon. I wanted to go to sleep. I couldn't the 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 sense of everything being ordinary it's like everything just seems so ordinary that it was extraordinary that it became extraordinary but it, it was weird because it's like this there isn't anything different other than this weird feeling sensations um and it didn't it didn't cure my depression so a couple of weeks later i stepped it up and went to 17 and a half grams and that was a really interesting day. Um, <laughs> that's so wait, 17 and a half grams. Like that's more than a, a half an ounce of yes. mushrooms. That's, that's a, a mushroom, half an ounce plus another eighth of an ounce. So that's five eighths of an ounce of mushrooms in one sitting. Yes. And still in that, I didn't get what I wanted. Um, this was three or four years ago. And um, I, I'm going to do that again, and I'm going to need to step it up because there's still something I'm missing at that. But but the, the oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, there's there's something that I'm missing, and I don't know what it is. So it's really difficult to explain what it is. But that ineffableness. So I go into mushrooms and or psychedelics or ayahuasca or peyote or LSD, any of these. And when I go in, I, it's like I go in looking for God because so many people have these like God experiences. And when I go in looking for God, I don't ever find him in that material. 
in, in those substances. But what's really funny is afterwards and I come back down and I start thinking about all the stuff, I find God in my life in so many different ways, just never when I'm in the mushrooms or in the, in the, in the material, in the, in the substances. So, um, so psychedelics were not working for me. I was not finding the relief. And then about two years ago, um, my wife heard about something called ibogaine, iboga, which is an African tree root. Okay. And when I first started doing psychedelics, I, I like looked at a bunch of them. And ibogaine was the one that I wasn't going to do. It's like, that's my limit. I'm not going to do ibogaine. It's like a 36 that's hour. It's a 36 hour journey. You're in it for at least 12 hours. So it's a it's a really intense thing. It also can slow down your heart. And, and some people have passed away while doing iboga. So it's it's a serious, serious um, procedure to, to step into it. And I came home one day and my wife says, hey, I found out about this thing and I've got you set up to go to Mexico to go do iboga. And like I said, I, I'd done several and they weren't helping me. And, and iboga was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll go do one more thing. And iboga was, was a very strong, powerful medicine and, and it helped me. So it's, it's the one that finally made me want to be alive again. And iboga is different than the rest because it actually goes in and it actually repel, repairs your brain cells. It actually fixes natural things that are going on in your head. Um, and the way they found it is opiate addiction. Um, if you have an opiate addiction and you go uh, through an ibogaine treatment, you can get rid of a lifetime of, of the withdrawal symptoms in one go. So you can have, you can be an opiate addict for years and then have one shot with ibogaine and it'll clear the physical addiction symptoms out of you. Now, the thing is, is if you don't, do the preparation and integration work if you don't prepare for that then the reason you became an addict the reason you have those problems will still be there and even though you get rid of the physical symptoms the reason you go for that substance the reason you go for whatever drug of choice that you have your opiate that will still be there and so in this process of after ibogaine so ibogaine another reason ibogaine was different for me is when i went there they set me up with an integration coach, a preparation and integration coach. So all the three or four years I'd been doing the psychedelics before I went to, to do Ibogaine, I never had a coach. I didn't have anybody helping me. It was all internal exploration. Um, I was going through ceremonies with medicine men and shaman. And so the, the ceremonies were, were safe, but I didn't have anybody preparing me for what was going to happen or then how to set my life up afterwards. So during my ibogaine treatment, they had me do three sessions, coaching sessions before the ibogaine and three afterwards. The three coaching sessions before ibogaine helped me integrate the three and a half to four years of psychedelic medicine that I did previously. So my coach, when we started talking about what was going on with ibogaine, um, <clears throat> We talked about all the previous stuff that I did, and it helped me understand what was going on. So when I got to my ibogaine treatment, I was so much more ready and prepared for what was going to be happening. 
and also the integration, the preparing for when you're done. Most people, like right now, you hear a lot about ketamine because ketamine is legal and a lot of people are going for ketamine treatments. And they think, oh, great, ketamine is going to cure me. It's, it's the red pill. It's going to take away my depression. It's going to take away all of these things. And in some cases, it does because it'll open you up to that awareness. And just opening up to the awareness of this greater sense of life is enough for some people. But without the, the integration, without the coaching, without the getting ready to fix your life afterwards, then you don't, if, if you don't do that, then, and you don't start moving, then it, it's no different than, than basically a placebo. You're, you might feel better for a little while, but if you're not taking, if you're not fixing the parts of your life that are making you depressed, if you're not trying to grow your life, then, then what you'll end up with is an interesting experience. You'll end up with 17 and a half grams of mushrooms one day talking with the specter of death about what's going on. And after that, it's like, well, that was really interesting. Now, what do I do with that? So in that process, I found it so valuable to the, the integration and the coaching of that one time that I worked with my coach, found out where she got her coaching and, and I joined the Being True to You coaching team and I became a psychedelic and integration coach. Um, anybody can do psychedelics. You know, you can find them lots and lots of places. But the magic happens with the coaching and the integration. It's it's not the substance that fixes you. You are the medicine. I am the medicine. The person taking the psychedelic is the medicine. And what the what the psychedelics do is they go inside and they show you where you are falling apart, where you need to work. It's going to, it's going to take you inside and it's like, it's going to show you. And that's, that's some people aren't prepared for that Yeah, because, because your problems in your, in your life are your problems. Other people might trigger, but the triggers affect things inside of you. So you are your problem. And the, the mushrooms, the psychedelics, the ibogaine can go in and, and show you where that is. And then if you're prepared and you're ready to integrate those lessons, then you can take these, these clues, the stuff that you find out about your life, and then start taking the steps to grow your life out of your addictions, out of your problems, out of your depression. Um, so, okay, um, quick, quick side note. So are you familiar with the uh, Concussion Legacy Foundation out of... Uh, it's, I think it's out of Massachusetts. There's a guy, um, uh, Chris Nowinski, uh, and he's he started this maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe 2009, 2010. He used to be a pro wrestler and and a football player at Harvard, and ended up, you know, uh, he yeah got one bad kick to the head, and uh, he he also played football. And then he had his roommate ended up, I think he also had, you know, found out he had CTE and um, yeah, ended up killing himself. And so, um, but then he wrote a book about it and it's, I, the only, the only thing that's tough about the book is it seems like it's written by somebody that went to Harvard. So it's <laughs> the, the, the terminology is, just you kind of have to get past that but the information in it 
is great. But um, have you talked to any, maybe not them, but any other kind of foundations that work with people that have had uh, head injuries? Like, so like when, when I die, I have a thing that says, I have a little card, then that's where my brain's going when I'm, cause I've had a, a bunch of um, head injuries and also, you know, found benefit from psychedelics from that as well um, to be able to work with it. Have you worked with, or are you working with anyone else that's kind of, uh, you know, that deals with brain injuries and rehabilitation of that? Um, well, when I had my brain scanned and I started, the reason I did a lot of this without coaching is, is when my business fell apart, I lost all my money. So just as I found out I had the brain damage is when I kind of ran out of money. So a lot of the stuff that I started doing was on my own. And now when I, when I went through being true to you, um, one of the co-founders is Dr. Dan Engel, and he wrote a book called The Concussion Protocol. He was, he was on his way to being a doctor. He was in sports medicine, and then he hurt his head really bad. And he ended up down in the Amazon because this was, a, this was, again, a long time ago before they became so much more readily available and understood here. So he went down to the Amazon and spent a couple of years with in the jungle working with these different medicines and rebuilding himself. And then he came back. And when he came back, he had a hard time breaking back into our society because the, the psychedelic medicines put you in contact with life in a different way. They, they take the material world, the, the societal world, the, oh, you have to go to work, you have to drive a car, you have to go do all of this stuff. And it takes that kind of a way because you, you realize that while that is important for staying alive and being part of, of, of life, that that is such a superficial part of it that the real deeper stuff has nothing whatsoever to do with your job, has nothing whatsoever to do with, with any of the stuff that, that really happens in life. And just being here, being part of this is so incredible. It's so miraculous that we're even here that it, it opens you up to life in a different kind of a way that makes fitting into the society life a little more difficult. And so one of my favorite poems is it, it I, I can't remember the name of it. Well, I can't remember the name of the guy who, who wrote it. I just can't say it, but it's life or love is knowing I am everything. Wisdom is knowing I am nothing. And between the two, my life flows, which is the, the verbal representation of the yin and the yang symbol. So when you, when you get into psychedelics, let's say the psychedelics throw you into the light, the white part, and they throw you way into the white part. It's like, holy cow, look at all of this stuff. I've been here for so many years. How come I have never seen a tree? How come I've never seen a pillow? How come I've never seen a dog? And you've seen them, but you haven't seen them alive. And then once you get into the psychedelics and you're woken up to that, holy crap, look at all of this stuff, then that sometimes makes living in the, the going to work world a lot more difficult. And 
when I hurt myself and I started doing these, I got thrown way, way over into the white, into the light, into the I am everything. And fitting back into the I am nothing, into the into the work, I'm insignificant, go to job, go do this, make this stuff work. That stopped working for me in a really uncomfortable way. And again, thank God for my wife. And she said, when she said, um, for life or longer till death do us part, she meant it. Um, or I should say that for better or for worse part, because she's pretty much been holding us together for the last couple of years. Um, so it's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm in my recovery. Um, I probably will be for the rest of my life. But in that, it's like the, the, the best person to help you in your recovery is the person who's just a little bit farther ahead of you because they can reach back and grab you and pull you a little bit farther. You know, sometimes those doctors and stuff are so far out there and so far ahead of you that they can't really see or understand what you're doing. They can have compassion, but they don't get it. So now what I'm doing is I'm a coach and I'm reaching back and I'm helping people who are a little bit farther behind than me and I'm helping them catch up with me. And sometimes I'm helping them get farther ahead than me because they're not quite as, as damaged as I am. And seeing as how you know Herm, um, there's a couple of places on Meadows. It's like where the run goes down and then it, it comes up a hill. I was on a fresh powder day, saw this beautiful run, hit it, got stuck down in the bottom of the run, didn't make it up the hill. Had It was like knee deep powder. So it's like, dang, walking in knee deep powder sucks. Kick off your board, yeah. start walking out, right? That's what you got to do. Let the whole drag in the board. and Yep. And as you're, as you're walking out, it's like the next person that, that wanted this run comes by, they get in your track, they pass you and they go another 20 feet. And you see that as like, damn, I wish I'd have made it that far. And then they kick off their board, but they're way farther ahead of you. And then another guy comes and then the third guy, he makes it over the hill. So there's two people walking way up. You're the first there, but now you're way behind. So you made that trail and then somebody came along and made caught your trail and made it farther. So that's kind of what I'm doing is, is I'm saying, hey, this is what I did. Come check it out. Maybe I can help you get farther. So, and, and you know, after a while, then people will start making it past me and the people I help will then, and then, man, by the time I hiked out of that, probably half an hour, there's like 10 or 15 people that passed me. And, and I think one of them even passed me twice. He made it down to the bottom, came up and made it past me again before I walked out of that. So, um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm walking out of my mental issues. I still have a long way to go. There's still a lot of work that I have to do. But as I'm learning, I'm reaching back. It's like, hey, man, I made this trail. Come check this out. Come follow me. And so I'm, I've, I've become a coach. I have a way of talking about these things. Um, people who've done it for years say, hey, man, you have a way of being able to talk about stuff that people can't talk about in a way that people can understand what you're talking about. So I have a way of being able to explain some of these things and what people are going to go through in, in a non-generic or more, or more of a generic way, but, but, but specific enough to, to help them understand and to get a grip on it. And another thing that I say is like, I could, if you were going to go into a, a, a session and I told a, a, a medicine session and I told you everything that was going to happen to you for that entire session beforehand. It's like, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And it went, and it was exactly what I said. When you went through it, 
even though it was exactly what I said, you would have no preparation for it whatsoever because it is so absolutely internally personal to you that even if you knew exactly what it was going to be like, it wouldn't be exactly that because there's no way to encompass that. So to be able to set people up to understand that and then to be able to be in these places of discomfort and fear and sometimes absolute terror and be able to breathe and be home. It's like, oh, hey, he said this. This isn't anything actually to be scared about. And then to drop into that and move through it brings so much power and so much um, comfort into the session. Because, yeah, there's been times where I like jumped into these things and it's like, I've got deep. It's like, okay, I'm here. Now what? And I would sit there and I would have no idea what to do. And I would just get stuck in these places. So I'm trying to help people not get stuck, to be able to ride through the, the experience and come out the other side and be prepared, have their houses in order, have their food ready to go, have the changes that they want to make in their life set up so that when they come through the experience, they can step into their new role, into their new life, and hopefully make it farther up the hill. And so where are you physically having people go to do this experience? Are you having them, um, are you taking them out to the woods? Are you, um, are you, you know, sitting in a, a, a room at your house? Are you kind of doing a mixture of both? Are you, you know, going to the pool, uh, going out well, to as far, as far as providing the medicine, I haven't started doing that yet. Um, I'm a really great coach. I'm a really great preparation and integration person, but the ceremonial aspect of it, the holding space, the clearing the energies, the that that's all very, very important because as you get into this work, there is stuff that you can't see. There are there are spirits and things around and energies. So to hold that space, that that takes a lot of a lot of focus, a lot of training. And so if if you've already gone on an experience and you're looking for a coach, then I can help you go back in what you've already done and go through that. Um, so that's one of the things I can do. But if you're going to go into it, I that's this is where more of the coaching comes in. I will I will help you find a person who or I will because I can't I don't actually do the medicine. Um, sure, sure. But I can, I can help you find it. Um, I could, you know, cause there's, there's weird legal aspects of that too, that, that get in there. And yeah, I, as a coach, I'm starting some men's groups. I'm coaching men. And as I do that, I will be offering, um, medicine retreats. But at the same point, I have a shaman that I work with who was trained out in the in the Amazon for, for years, steeped in the tradition and history of it. And so I bring a medicine man along to the retreat. They handle that aspect of it. I handle the coaching. I handle the integration, the aftercare, the, the helping you speak what you what you went through. Because a lot of times being able to just talk about what you went through, to be able to say it, to have somebody to talk to that understands, will then also help that settle in and sink in and make more of an impact on your life. And I mean, uh, it's sort of the, the same thing. No, 
it's, it's sort of close to hypnosis where it's you are stripped um and it's the inside of your mind can't lie to you it's everything that's taken everything in forever and it's just sitting there and you have to face it um because it's gonna it's gonna tell you what it is it's gonna it's gonna give you that that knowledge you need yeah you, you put a substance in your body you are on that ride until it's done you can't you can't like halfway through go oh i'm done i don't want this anymore and step out it's like no you're you're in it right and that's where that's where the breath work and and having the preparation comes in because you know so much of the preparation is just learning how to breathe and a lot of times in the preparation and learning how to breathe people get so much help just from learning how to breathe understanding breath understanding what breathing is getting more of an understanding of how to breathe that sometimes I say psychedelics are all about learning how to breathe. It's not, you know, just that the very basic core, because when your sure. world collapses, if you go into one of those dark spaces, if, if everything goes away, then the last thing that you have to hold on to is your breath. And there's been times where it's like you breathe out and you feel your breath stop. It's like, Oh my God, am I dead? And then it's, and then you, then your next breath is like, it starts right back. I was like, Ooh, I'm breathing. And so your entire existence becomes all about your breath. And I mean, yeah, just how important breath is and how much of a different, you know, state of awareness inside yourself, uh, you know, physically and mentally at the same time, just how much can be controlled the breath, just being able to get someone that fast, you know, two, three deep breaths and they're, everything has changed about them. Um, not everything, but I mean, a, a whole bunch of what can change that fast. And um, yeah. And so, so then also, so then, okay. So if you're going with your, your medicine, man, where, what, uh, on your retreats, where are these taking place? I guess was the question I was wondering earlier. I can do them anywhere. So do you have a certain kind of place you enjoy or? Is it kind of on the person? Um, the easiest place for me is is up in the Washington area because I I have a I have a friend up there who mm -hmm. also does inipi, which is um, sweat tents, um, Indian sweat tents. So combining sweat lodges, cold plunges, um, other kinds of activities that that strengthen the brain and strengthen your resolve at the same time as you're doing the mushrooms as well um, or whatever psychedelics there's a couple of places on mount shasta that are pretty incredible just because of the energies and just the grandeur of being on that mountain mountains have different kinds of energies and when you're high up on a mountain there's a there's a settling that happens within a body um especially sacred mountains like like shasta but um Really, if if you need the work, it doesn't have to be any place special. It can absolutely be in your backyard. Um, but yeah, the, and there are so many places right now where it is becoming legal. So uh, there's ayahuasca churches in Florida. Utah has several psilocybin churches. Um, Oregon just legalized psilocybin, and they're having a whole lot of um, 
practitioner training. So pretty soon people are going to be able to come to Oregon to go through psychedelic through psilocybin treatments with providers and coaches. So the 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 rapidity with which the, this world is exploding, you know, 10 years ago, thinking that this would that this even conversation would happen was just ridiculous. And, yeah. and now just the acceptance and the explosion of this. And, and again, it's such an important type of medicine as well. That's that's been vilified for so long, but it's helping so many people, um, especially ibogaine, because ibogaine is is the last resort, and it works really well with people with traumatic brain injuries, with opiate addiction, um, with with mold toxins, with with other natural toxins in the body. Um, it, ibogaine is is just like an absolute miracle. And it's really, really helping a lot of veterans. And I, I love to talk about this because I got to go to a veteran facility when I did Ibogaine down in Mexico. I'm not a veteran, but um, my wife, the people that my wife was working with, um, he, he is a veteran. He, his name is Wiz Buckley, Matthew Wiz Buckley. And he started the Top Gun Fighter Foundation because he went down and did Ibogaine, and now he is helping other soldiers and airline pilots and first responders get down there as well. And so my wife was watching him, and he opened up, even though it was a veterans facility, he's like, anybody who's listening who needs help, I will help you get there. So I got to go to a veterans facility, even though I wasn't a veteran. Um, when I did my Ibogaine, I, I went through the ceremony with four other veterans, and so we jumped off the world together. And and it helps them so much um, with the traumatic brain injuries. Marcus and Amber Capone is the one who started, um, who's, who's who my wife watched, and, and they started an, another foundation to help people get down to Mexico to do these. And again it goes in and it fixes the the brain cells it actually fixes the the dendrites in your brain it it fills them in um ibogaine sorts you so my ibogaine experience the first couple hours um what happened is is i started seeing things and i saw like a polaroid picture come down in front of me only the edge of the picture like a corner was ripped out of the picture and when the picture came down it was just like a picture of my family wasn't anything anywhere and when I saw that picture, all of the color went out of the picture. And then the frame, when it was empty, just dropped. And then another picture came down and it was broken as well. And all of the color drained out of that picture. And then the frame dropped. And then there was like a little movie of like my family getting up from the table at dinner. And then all of the color drained out of that. And then the frame dropped. And I got this impression. I was basically, it was told that what's going on is, is these are the brain cells that are being paired, that are being fixed, that are you're going to lose this information. And I just want to show you that it's pretty generic. It's nothing. You're not losing anything important, that this is just kind of standard where we're working right now. And as soon as I got that, instead of like one picture came down, it just started snowing. Just tons of these broken white pictures as the color was just flowing. And that happened for hours. So it felt like I was being sorted, like these brain cells are bad. And every once in a while, a picture would like stop and it'd be like, hey, this one's important. And even though it's broken, 
we're going to save this picture and then it would like come inside of me and fly inside of me so yeah really really interesting things um but at the same time i have a lot of damage that i did to my head and ibogaine told me that once wasn't enough that i i didn't that i needed to go back so i've actually done ibogaine twice the second time was very similar to the first um there's a lot more to it than that but the second time was a lot was a lot similar to the first and again i got this message that we're we're, we're getting closer but there's still more brain stuff that we have to fix but ibogaine started talking to me and it's the first you know people say oh mushrooms talk to me oh mother ayahuasca talk to me oh father peyote talk to me i haven't had those experiences where i've had this sense of of the medicines talking to me before but ibogaine did get that sense of of a communication and it told me that that it needs me that it wants me that i'm not done with it and that i'm going to need to do more as well as as being helping people with this so again that's how i got into the coaching is because the medicine told me that i was going to need to do this so then what was it like being around three other people that are going through the ibogaine experience with you are you are you in contact with them are you seeing them are you just so focused in on what you're doing to heal all of the above um we're all in the same room um and and the medicine comes in waves so sometimes we're we take the blindfolds off and we talk to the people in the room um sometimes we're just in our own space um and and it's weird but sometimes when other people are having problems or something's going on with somebody else then it's a trigger to help you so i, I remember this is kind of a funny story but when i did ayahuasca um there was a guy that showed up on the third day and had done it before so hadn't wasn't really prepared and he had a really bad time and as he was having a really bad time his his expressions and what was going on was grounding me so as he was like oh my gosh and ooh la la and these weird things going on is like i'm glad that's happening over there and now I can relax and settle into me. So there are times where the stuff that's happening with other people triggers something inside of you to go deeper or because we're all connected. We're all related. It's all one energy. And so when you step into something like that, the stuff that other people are going through does tend to help you as well. So going through this with my um, with with my my soldiers um one of the guy one of the gentlemen was was having problems and had a really hard time settling into it but then once he did he was a lot of fun to have in the room because he was very expressive um he was having once once he got past the the release and the breaking then he he was just a lot of fun to have in the room um it sounds like the uh your analogy to the stopping uh going through the powder and having clearing that path uh with you him him being the person being stuck in the powder and you being able to go past him seeing that and then once he sees that you're past it's sort of like hey i can still carry you ahead and you know he can see that everyone else is in there you know they're not freaking out or uh, for lack of a better term 
Um, and then, yeah, it kind of helps everyone around. And then and you know, uh, the what is, is those people who pass you in the powder? Yeah. They also help you too, because right. instead of taking through knee deep powder, you get to start walking in the trail and it's a little bit less. And then the next time they pack it down. So towards the end, it's it, you're not kicking through knee deep powder anymore. You're walking in this path that the people who walk in front of you did. So yeah, it sucks to be the first to plow that trail as other people make it past you, but then you get to follow in their footsteps and it makes it easier for you too. So it's, yeah. it's kind of the way with medicine journeys. So when someone's freaking out, then it, it, it can maybe ground you, it might freak you out, but send you where you need to be. So there, there are no coincidences. When you're in that group, when you're going in, everything is there to help you. And so then uh, with the Ibogaine, uh, do people normally throw up with that experience? Is that part of it? And does that, when that does happen, does that send you further into it? Sort of like, I had a buddy who uh, anytime we'd uh, eat mushrooms he would he would throw up uh one time we were walking or i don't want to go and name the place we were because uh, i might give it away too much but uh we were out walking around in portland and he's just like hold on hold on hold on and then just throws up and i remember looking at him and his eyes were completely bloodshot but you just saw this like awakening in him that just like he everything seemed in place for him and then that put me into a, a better place as well so is that something that happens during that experience um yes not everybody throws up on ibogaine i i do um th there for me there i have a lot of body trauma there's a lot of stuff stuck in my body so when i am vomiting when i it, it's a release it's not just emptying out my stomach i'm pulling stuff from my toes it's like it's a full body thing and I, i'm i don't particularly like throwing up but when i'm in a medicine work there is so much that happens during that time of purging that it, it's not just a physical thing for me so not everybody needs to do that most a lot of people do um ayahuasca is like is is known for that for making people throw up but at the same time a lot of people are really worried about that but it's amazing the stuff that happens while you're there um throwing up is a singular action and what i mean by that is is when you get into it you're fully into it. You can't be throwing up and be thinking of other things. You're there. And that focus, that single point of clarity gets a lot of clutter out of your way. And then when you're when you're in that purging state, the stuff that comes through is is different. So the first time I did ayahuasca, I threw up for slow I threw up in slow motion for like three hours, said I was never going to do it again, was horrible experience. I'm at, I had a seven hour drive home after my experience wow. on the drive home. I started thinking about all of the stuff that happened <clears throat> while I was throwing up, while it was horrible. And by the time I got home, I was so blown away by how much 
I had actually learned. It took me like three weeks to unpack all of that stuff. And by the time I got home after that seven hours, like as bad as that was, I know if I'm ever given the opportunity, I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And I mean, so, I mean, that part right there, the throwing up, whether it's for 10 seconds or three hours, um, it's a pattern interrupt in your thinking and thought process that just stops everything. And then you are the most open to any sort of any thing coming into your, into your, your being, your consciousness, uh, your body, your mind. And that's when the stuff is there and it's you're very receptive to it and it sticks. And so, um, I mean, yeah, that it's I don't, throwing up. Well, isn't you that get bad out of your way because you have to focus on that. And when you get out of your way, your brain just opens up and goes, and yeah. again, a lot of people are so worried about it, but it's not, it's not like having the flu and throwing up where you feel like you're going to die. It's not, it is such a different experience when you're on the medicine because there's so much more to it than just getting out there. There's, there's stuff coming in There's It's, it's everything. So, you know, again, so many people worry about that. It's like, Oh, I don't want to, oh. but once, once it's happened, sometimes you don't even realize or recognize. It's like when you said, Oh, do you throw up an IV? It's like, no, man, I don't. I, and then it's like, I did. <laughs> And when I throw up, I got sweaty. It's like the first time. So they, when you do ibogaine, they actually hook you up to heart monitors. So they monitor your heart while you're doing it. And oh. I, I threw up so violently and I got so hot and I sweat so much that my, my sticker things where they had the stuff on me kept falling off. So I'd be throwing up and oh. my, my heart monitor would go off like my heart stopped. So they would come up to me and, and, and when I would stop, they would like, so instead of like one, instead of the, like the five things where they had, I had like 30 of these things stuck on me. I had like tape, like, oh yeah, I had to pull a little stick. It was, it was awful. Um, but yeah, so even when you asked, it's like, did you throw up? It's like, man, no, I didn't throw up. It's like, oh wait, I did. I threw up so much. I had these things. So you do, but it's not, it's not it's not the most important thing that's happening while you're there. And, and sometimes even afterwards, you don't even remember that you did it because there's, again, the, the stuff that's happening is so much more cooler than the fact right. that you're growing up. So uh, I have uh, one more question here. So for someone who has, you know, been down that road of, having a bad trip or has never uh experienced any psychedelics ever what would you say to them to you know i mean what would you would you say that everyone needs it i guess too or is it some people it's just not right for or what do you think about that that is a great question and so many people who do mushrooms for the first time come back and say, oh my God, everybody has to do that. I am not one of those people. Uh, me uh, too. Not everybody has to do this. If, if you are okay in your life, if stuff is going okay, if you're not, if, you, if you're okay, you don't need to do this. Um, 
if if you're depressed, if you're banging up on walls, if life isn't working for you, if you're struggling with everything you do, then yes, I would I would recommend some sort of medicine work because again, that can reorganize your brain. It can it can pattern interrupt. It can give you a straight path. You can see for a while, and and again, it's just for a while. It's not it's not like you do it once and and it's and it's great. If 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 it were do it once and it was great, then then hippies wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like once every six months to a year, somewhere in there has kind of been about the sweet spot for keeping everything just as like that bit of a a reset almost. Uh, I don't know if the reset's the right word, but uh, reorgan a reorganization every six months to a year seems to be yeah. about, at least for, for myself, about the right amount of time for it to even uh, you know yeah one yeah, of the I mean, yeah. things i say is is you should be called to it either through inspiration or desperation so i came through it through desperation my life was over i was depressed i didn't want to be on this planet anymore i i was ready to just to give up and be done and the the medicines gave me a different view helped me get back on track helped me want to live again so if you're in that state, psychedelics is better than, than, than killing yourself. Just boom, right there. Just be just as honest as possible. If, if, you, if you're ready to die, if you don't want to live here anymore, give psychedelics a shot. Maybe you'll, you'll catch a glimpse of life that it will make you want to stay. Um, the other kind of people who are inspired by it, they see the art like, like the, the pictures on your wall. I, I have seen that. I have been there. Um, yeah. And people who have spent a lifetime in meditation, who have gone deep already, who have been doing the breath work, who have been doing the, the personal work, who have been doing the inside work and are ready to take it deeper, then those people are inspired. So desperation or inspiration, but curiosity is what kills the cat. So if your life is, is okay and you don't necessarily have big problems and you jump into this and you're opened up to life, it can take your life apart in a way you're not prepared for. Um, suddenly you can see the, super, the, the superficialness of society the the depth of life and it can take you off of your center off of the between the two my life flows and if you fall too far into the light then the the work the going to work the relationships are harder if you get too much into the work and the and that stuff then you lose life so you got to find that balance and again if if you're curious get a coach, do the breath work, start the, start the work before you do the psychedelics. Because right now, just learning to breathe, some of the breath work practices open up people so much just to breathing that they had no idea what was available with breathing. So 
doing the prep work for in it, for for some of the psychedelic medicines is is enough for some people just that little taste of life you don't have to to throw them off the deep end which is what the the psychedelics do um there's a there's a cost for that speed and the the discomfort the shock the the abrupt entry are all things that that if you don't need to do that, you shouldn't, you know, yeah. going through it in a much more slow build your life is, is a lot easier, is a lot more preferred than uh, jumping off of the cliff with a psychedelic and, and hoping you hit the bottom. <laughs> right. So you never really know where that bottom is. Uh, but you know, you're, you don't need to reach for it yet. Eventually uh, it can get there. It's going right. to get there somehow. And so if I it made me think of one more thing. So if, uh, you know, like a suicide crisis hotline, what, what would that, I mean, would that even be something realistic to go and have that be an option to say, Hey, hold on a minute. Like before, you know, to, while you're talking someone down off that would suggesting, do you think suggesting, different medicine could you know possibly you know at least one person i mean if one person if that you know if that's something that's sort of protocol for what's going through for what you know you talk to people about even one person being helped from that do you think that'd be worth it to have you know as part of the you know what what could be said or is that too late or that's kind of an interesting question. Um, so the the person needs to needs to want it. So re recommending you end up with some really weird. Um, oh, my phone keeps making noise. Stop making noise. Oh. Um, so as a coach, we have to be very careful about giving advice. So because if, if you say, hey, you should try this and they go try it and it, and it works, then they're going to, hey, what else can I do? And then you become their, their advice person. Or if it doesn't work, they say, oh, you said I should do this. It didn't work. It's your fault. So to, to give advice, to, to, say, hey, you should go do this. That's not something that we recommend doing. So what we do is, is we ask a lot of questions. So we question you and we find out really what's important to you. And if psychedelics comes up, we, we could say, hey, have you thought about this and explore it? But the choice needs to be the person's and they need to be the one to say, yeah, I want to do this because they need to own their recovery. So if, if, oh, this person said, do that. So I did this, this person said, do this, this, I said, do this. I wanted to try this. It's my responsibility. So by taking that step, that ownership, then that, that gives them that one more tool, that one more nail to hold stuff together instead of, oh, he said, oh, she said, it's outside of me. So to truly fix yourself, you do need to do it from the inside. It needs to come from you. You need to hold on to that. So 
however if someone were like having a gun to their head and i'm like hey man let's go do psychedelics instead see if that helps i might do that but i've never got to that point where i'm sitting with someone that close to the edge um right but yeah so hopefully that conversation can be had before they get that far but if they are that far uh, again it, one more thing just try one more thing yeah i like that and so if people or when people are getting a hold of you where are they going to find you how are they going to get a hold of you what do they do uh where can they find you well, right now, the easiest place to get a hold of me is on Facebook. And if you see my name in the corner there, just look up my name on and you can find me on Facebook. I have links to set up a meeting with me. There's also a link to my webpage to set up coaching. Um, part of the thing with the hitting my head is a lot of the. Um, a lot of the business stuff went away. So my wife helps me with a lot of the social media aspect of it, the, the back end stuff. I'm still really good at talking. I'm inspirational. But part of the stuff that I lost, again, was my business acuity, um, the being able to function in the day to day stuff. I'm I'm not real great at that. I'll, I'll be honest with you straight up. But I help people that are there get back there so even though you know i'm i'm still a little scrambled i've got a few more years left to to unscramble myself um i i am really good at helping other people get through where i am and and make it out quicker so it it took me a long time to get here and now i help people get through quicker I like it. I like it a lot. And I really enjoyed getting to talk to you and, and meet you and uh, yeah, be able to not know what we're going to talk about and end up talking about something that's really important to um, and could be quite helpful to a lot of people who never know. Right now, right now, it's, it'd be helpful to a lot of people, especially Ibogaine, because it, it does help with drug addiction. And right now, we have a huge problem in portland yeah i mean it, uh, worldwide there yeah, countrywide it, everywhere yeah yeah, yeah. It, especially with the fentanyl coming in so um and again you know people talk about how 22 veterans a day are killing themselves that number was updated this year and that number doubled so it's actually 44 veterans a day who are currently killing themselves so drug addiction um, brain damage through because so many of the soldiers have the repetitive concussive traumas from the explosions and the shells and the gunfire that it's it's little micro traumas in their brain so what i have in big ways they have in little ways and their lives are falling apart so if you know a veteran that that is having issues that you know that they, they're always saying i'm fine but they're you just can tell that they're not ibogaine can can really help and again there's the top gun foundation there's no fallen heroes um jt from the black rifle coffee company if you know about the black rifle coffee company he's a yeah. big proponent of getting veterans help so the two of the people that i was in mexico with jt helped them get there because he's he's so if you're a soldier 
um, reach out to the guy from Black Rifle Coffee Company because because he can help you get there too. So again, it's a kind of a mission close to my heart to to help vets because they help me, and so um, yeah. So veterans, soldiers, first responders, you know, reach out. Um, contact me if you can't remember any of the stuff. My name's there. If I'm not the right person to help you, I can absolutely get you in touch with people who can, because it's like you, you did so much for us. And, and our, it seems like once you're done with service, they just throw you to the wolves and let you go. And that's just so not cool. You know, you've done so much, you need help. You know, there, there's a lot of people out there who are looking to help you. So you know, if you're a soldier, if you're having problems, if you reach out, we, we can get you help. Perfect. Well, hey, yeah, thank you so much again. Um, and yeah, you guys get a hold of, of Herbert here and um, just do it. Just go do it. And yeah, um, it will stay in touch. And uh, next time I go out to Portland, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look you up here. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I have family out there still, so I'll, I go out and I, I wrestle out there still sometimes. So I'll go out there on a, on a semi-regular basis. So um, I'll, I'll get a hold of you next time. So that would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I hope you have a good rest of your day and uh, enjoy it. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me on. Cause this, this kind of information, it, it is kind of, it's, it's out there everywhere. But the how to get a hold of people who can help is is harder to find. So uh, again, yeah. if you're having trouble finding someone, contact me. Even if I'm not the one going to be helping you, I can I can find somebody who will. Because you know there there's a lot of people that I'm I'm not necessarily qualified to help, but I can. You know, being true to you, I have a I have a whole bunch of coaches, a whole bunch of friends who who work with soldiers all of the time, and so very much if, if you need help reach out if i'm not the right person i will get the people who can help you thanks okay well hey thank you yeah thank you again and yeah well um i'll put that in the show notes and yeah make sure everyone gets to see it and we'll, we'll share it around all right i'll talk to you later it's been a pleasure talking with you thank you very much likewise all right that was herbert Hey, Averett. Um, yeah, we ended up talking about that. So that's, yeah, I mean, that's stuff that's near and dear to my heart, all of that. So, and like, you know, me as well, like uh, for PTSD, like that's the one thing I don't charge people for, for hypnosis is for PTSD. So, because I know how well it works and how, much it can help someone just like this i know how much it's helped me and especially with brain anything your brain can really fuck you up but your brain can also really make you better so um thank you guys so much for listening here on the quantum global broadcasting network qgbn with other great shows such as the thinking man's processing podcast when the gloves come off this is it with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben, sponsored by Fred Ben Savage's Buck, Stonery's Productions, Hardcore Comedy, Hypnosis is Great, and SockEmUp.org. And that is the show, man. Boom!
It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee-wee. You brought the snacks, right? <laughs>